views and opinions expressed in Cold and Missing are exclusively those of the hosts. All parties mentioned are considered innocent until proven guilty in a court of law. Cold and Missing also contains adult themes and languages and is intended for a mature audience. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome back, everybody. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Cold and Missing. We're on our sixth episode. Lucky number six. Number six. Number six. That's my favorite number six. That's my favorite number. Perfect. So this should be your favorite episode. Well. Until we get to 66. (laughs) Or the triple three. Six, six, six. Okay, so what do you got for me today? How are you going to break my heart? Oh, I got one for you. I got a missing case for you. Okay. Have you noticed the pattern yet? Oh, is it every other? Yeah, so... Uh. (laughs) (laughs) Wow, it's almost as if you've been methodical about this and have thought about it. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, we do. Cold case one week, missing person the next week. I did not put that together, no. Well, you're in on the secret now. (laughs) Okay. So this is missing. Yes, this is a missing case, but considered endangered missing. So police are not suspecting the person we are covering today to to come home alive at this point. Okay. And we are talking about Jessica Ann Kinsey. Jessica Ann Kinsey. Jessica Ann Kinsey, and this is taking place December 26th of 1995 in Union, Missouri. Alrighty. So, a little bit of background information about Jessica. Jessica was born February 16th, 1981, and at the time of this event taking place in December of 1995, she is a 14-year-old 7th grader at Union Middle School in Union, Missouri, and she really is a typical 90s Like, her favorite TV shows are America's Funniest Home Videos, Saved by the Bell, and Full House. Yes. Awesome. Me too. I was also... We were also 90s teens. Yes. (laughs) Her favorite movies are Dirty Dancing and the made-for-TV film Sarah Plain and Tall. And... Her favorite music was Dolly Parton and Alanis Morissette. And I'm like... Excellent taste. Excellent taste. Excellent taste. Excellent taste in media, I would say. I'm pretty sure somewhere in the depths of my music is a Dolly Parton, Alanis Morissette mix tape somewhere. Sure. (laughs) (laughs) That's great combo. So Jessica, uh, at this time, is living with her mom, her stepdad, and her step-siblings, who are twins. Her family says that she is shy around strangers, but was outgoing with her friends. Her favorite color is hunter green, and this girl, first off, for the 90s, I think hunter green is a very, it's, it's a beautiful color, and it's a very, like, interesting color for, like, a teenage girl to be like, this is my favorite color. Her room was painted hunter green, and the clothes that she was last seen wearing was a dark green jacket, dark green Levi's, a green scrunchie, and a green sweatshirt with a white turtleneck. So she was like, I am a monochromatic on. moment. Yeah, she was like, I'm on my hunter green right now and i live for it so let's you know i love hunter green we got camo 
Lots of camo stuff. <laughs> I just think it's, like, when I think of, like, a 90s teenage girl, like, I think, you know, like... Like a pink windbreaker. It's a a poofy, pink... high ponytail. Yeah, sure. and, like, the neon that was just so popular in the 90s, yeah. like, bright colors, like, that was all very, the like... people on Saved by the Bell. <laughs> precisely, yeah, like, it was very, like, teen, but, like, Hunter Green is just, like, more, it's, like, a more mature, and I, I really like that her room was painted like She's this. got more of an edge. Yeah, she was like, I don't care more about the unique neon. spin. Yeah. Yeah. She's like, I know what I like. It's not the neon, it's the hunter green. So, let's get into it. Tuesday, December 26th, 1995. So, this is the day after Christmas. Jessica's parents, Ron and Mary Klein, they're both at home. You know, it's the day after Christmas. A lot of folks stay home that next day. And Jessica heads to a friend's house to show off her Christmas presents. She really wants to show her friend her new jacket, her gloves, her purse, and her scarf. Oh, my God. I used to love doing, like, Christmas morning, my friends and I would call each other and be like, what did you get? And I would, like, open up all my my Kohl's boxes. Like, that was the, like, when we knew we were doing well was when, like, I saw a Kohl's box. Oh, yeah. In, in, on Christmas morning. <laughs> yeah. You knew you were about to get that candies from Cole. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, I loved doing that. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, so this is the next day. She's like, okay, I'm ready to go, like, show off on my friend. We're about to do a fashion show. Yeah. So she heads over to her friend's house, and Jessica calls her mom at 2, says she's having a great time, and she'll call again at to let her mom know if she's going to stay at her friend's house for dinner or if she's going to come home and eat dinner. Pretty typical. Yeah, a girl's day, a girl's dinner. A girl's day, a girl's dinner. Let's go. At 5.30, Jessica's mother, Mary, calls the friend's house because Jessica has not called at this time. The friend's mom says that 23-year-old Jimmy Hopkins had picked her up. Now, Jimmy is the son of one of Mary's friends, and he and his mother are family friends of Jessica and Mary and Ron, and Jessica knows both of them well. Before leaving the friend's house, Jessica asked her friend's mom to call her mother and let her know that Jimmy had picked her up, but the friend's mother forgot to do this and doesn't inform Mary until Mary calls her at 5.30. Okay. So Mary immediately calls the cops. Because Jimmy had no reason to pick her up, and it's 5.30, and she's not home yet. The friend lived close by. She should have been home already. And it seems like she might have been picked up a little bit before 5 o'clock from the friend's house, so she should have been home by now. Got it. Police then do their favorite thing, and they treat Jessica as a runaway. Her friends and family say it is unlike her. She would have no reason to do this. And also, she has no reason to leave with a married man nine years her senior. Also, why would she be running away to her friend's house, like, making her whereabouts known? Like, she's in... If she was going to run away, then she would run away. Yeah, she probably... <laughs> she went to her friend's house and then had plans to have, like, maybe a dinner there. So, use some context clues, guys. Like, come on. I know. It, it makes my blood boil that they're like, well, she probably ran away because they assume she got in the car willingly, so she wanted to go with him. And it's like... Okay, dum-dums, but, like, she's 14. Ugh. Anyway, so police do their favorite thing and treat her as a runaway. Mary believes that Jessica wouldn't have thought twice about getting in a car with Jimmy since he was a family friend. And Mary says, quote, I don't think my daughter felt anybody was a bad person. Jesse was so naive, end quote. 
I'm sorry, I'm frowning. <laughs> I don't think that that's a naive quality. I kind of have that quality. I think she's just saying is that, you know, this 14-year-old girl hadn't been out in the world yet, and, you know, as adults, we see a 23-year-old picking up a 14-year-old who has no reason to, and, like, our alarm bells are going off. Oh, yeah, the first thing my brain said was, I've never heard a good ending to that sentence. No. Yeah, so, like, my brain immediately... Uh, so I understand... I don't think she's saying, like, naive, like Jesse is naive, Jessica is naive, as, like, a negative thing. I think it's just, like, the fact she was 14. Like, why would she think that her family friend would do anything bad to her? Yeah. She, you know... It's she'd been like living... Childhood innocence. Like, yeah. It's normal for, for kids to be that way. Totally. So this is what we know about Jimmy picking up Jessica. So Jimmy pays a local man, his name is Mark Henderson, to give him and Jessica a ride in his Aqua Teal two-door 1994 Chevrolet Cavalier. Jimmy tells Mark that Jessica is pregnant and that they are going to go to Niagara Falls to get married. Jimmy then produces a pair of wedding rings and shows them to Mark. But Jimmy, again, is already married, right? He has a wife already. The plan is for Mark to drive Jimmy and Jessica to Indiana, where Jimmy's relatives would pick them up and then drive them the rest of the way to Niagara Falls. And Mark is quoted as saying that during this car ride, Jessica is completely silent and is just sitting in the backseat with her head down. So she's not saying a single word. Eventually, Jimmy, Jessica, and Mark make it to Cloverdale, Indiana. Which this is, is taking a turn that I did not expect at all. Right? I'm like, wait, what's happening? <laughs> yeah, so... I, I, like, thought I didn't hear you right at first. <laughs> yeah, so they... Yeah, this is the story that Jimmy has cooked up, that he is going to marry Jessica because she is pregnant. And Mary, Jessica's mother, says she knows Jessica is not pregnant and she says that there are medical reasons she knows that Jessica is not pregnant okay so she doesn't get into what those are but her mother is, seems very adamant that there's no way her daughter is pregnant sure Jimmy, Jessica, and Mark make it to Cloverdale, Indiana, and check into the Dollar Inn. Cloverdale's about four hours away from Union, and Mark is in room 224, and Jessica and Jimmy go into room 222. So they split up for the evening. No! Never go to a second location. Ah. I, stressful, right? So we're back in Union. Later that night... Jimmy's mother and his wife come over to see Mary. Okay. And they tell Mary that Jimmy said he was going to get Jessica. And I'm like, ladies, why didn't you raise the fucking alarm? Like, you, he said he was going to get this girl and you didn't, like, think to warn his mother, like, her mother that, like, hey, something's going on here. Is this, like, the first time that everyone is figure, figuring out that this man is behaving this way? I don't know. I'm assuming that if he said to his mother or mother-in-law... 
His mother. His mother and his wife, like, oh, I'm going to go pick up blah, blah, blah. And to their knowledge, that's that would be normal. If they're all, if the family is all friends and... Well, here's the other little bit. <clears throat> he had also taken his wife's birth certificate, her social security card, and her driver's license with him. And, and they knew that? They knew that. Okay. So... Then that This is just fucking weird. That doesn't make any sense. Yeah. And I think Jimmy's maybe doing this to pass Jessica off as his wife. Oh, yeah, 100%. Yeah. I'm assuming that's... Why else would you do that? Right. (laughs) And, again, I don't know why the police... Like, this information is here. Like, why are the police going to treat her as a runaway? This 23-year-old man seems to be wanting to pass off this 14-year-old as his wife. Like... That sounds like a kidnapping, sir. I'm just like, how is it already this far and nothing has, no action has been taken? That doesn't make, okay. Yeah. Continue. Yeah, so that's the first day that she goes missing, the 26th. One day. That's one day. She she starts the day at her parents' house. She ends the day in this motel with Jimmy Hopkins. With an adult man who has just kidnapped her. Yes. Okay. Late on the 26th, early the 27th, sometime during that night. Late that night, Mark tells detectives that during the night he heard loud noises coming from the room where Jessica was with Jimmy. And at one point, Mark says, it sounds like a body hit the wall. Because their rooms are next to each other, so they would have a shared wall at this motel. And it sounds like a body hits that wall. And then... Mark's story changes a few times, or it's reported kind of differently here, but it both ends up in the same place. So first, Mark tells police that Jimmy answered the door fully clothed, because Mark hears all this, so he goes over to see what's going on. So first, Mark tells police that Jimmy answers the door fully clothed, blocked Mark's view of the room, and would not let Mark in, and Jimmy dismisses the noise as, quote, rough sex. A police report, however, says that Mark knocked on the door and got no response for about five minutes. Jimmy then called out from inside of the room that everything was fine and that they had been having rough sex because they hadn't seen each other for a long time. So if Jimmy came to the door, if he didn't, that's kind of the discrepancy within those two stories and if Mark was able to see into the room. And you aren't having rough sex. You are assaulting a minor. Yes. Period. It's but yeah. It's that's what's sex. happening. It's assault. It's assault. He's assaulting it. Yeah. But he's. That's how Jimmy is explaining all of this noise. Yeah, I understand. I just like want to make it clear he's assaulting. Well, this. yeah, and that like I don't know. So often in media, it's like he had sex with this fifteen-year-old girl, and it's like no, he didn't. He assaulted a minor, a right. child who cannot consent to that. You know, like exactly. So I just wanted to uh, that kind of. It just like makes my ugh. yeah I, t- I get it mark either way seems satisfied with whatever jimmy tells him and he goes back to his room and goes to sleep so he's a fucking idiot too he's a fucking idiot too yeah so next morning wednesday december 27th mark wakes up and realizes that jimmy jessica and his car are all missing fooled your mark gotcha mark <laughs> yeah snatched your mark <laughs> idiot like what did you think that plan was man 
apparently he took everything at face value and was still like, like, yeah, yeah, go marry this kid. Yeah. He's like, yeah, I'll drive you to Indiana. Yeah. The fuck? So you can marry a kid in Canada. Go, let's do it. Go for it. (laughs) Mark calls police to report his car is stolen and Indiana police will fail to enter the report and vehicle information into the National Crime Information Center system. Wow. (laughs) Yes, they will fail to do this for over a month, which, you know, loses the chance of other law enforcement potentially stopping or finding the car earlier in the case. I imagine that like the like receiving that information, them on the phone, hanging hanging up the phone, then ripping the phone out of the wall, and then just throwing it, <laughs> and then moving on, and moving on, and saying goodbye. <laughs> like they how they plug in a new phone, and they're like, all right, next case. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't understand. That doesn't. That's. You know, to give, like, the benefit of the doubt. Like, maybe they're like, oh, the car is going to turn up. Maybe they went for breakfast or to meet these relatives and they'll be back. You know, it's before cell phones, so, like, But even if you're sitting at your desk, you wouldn't even write down, like, okay, what's the year make and model? Like, do you know? Well, no, they have that information. Okay. The police take all that information in Indiana, but they don't put it into the system that would let other police departments know it and, like, be on the lookout for this vehicle and this guy and this minor. So they said, here's one for you. Yeah. Oh, they can't see me. They can't see you flicking me off. (laughs) (laughs) Also on Wednesday, the 27th, about 300 miles away in Paris, Tennessee, which is about five hours from Cloverdale, Jimmy pawns his grandmother's wedding ring. So he has a little bit of a cash flow at this point. Okay. And then New Year's is going to come and go. Nothing really happens until January of 1996. So this is the next few weeks because she went missing right at the end of December. But we are in January and we're in a new year of 1996. But she has not been gone that long. So on Saturday, January 6th, an unidentified male, not Jimmy, drops Mark's car off at a garage in Los Angeles, California, and it's abandoned. And then sometime in January, it's not um, that I couldn't find a specific date for this, but Indiana police will finally enter the report of Mark's stolen car into the NCIC, and this will help the car be found by police. So police end up finding this car. It's been reported stolen in Indiana. It shows up in LA, and Jimmy is located working at an ice cream or a yogurt shop, maybe an ice cream yogurt shop. ice cream shop and then it's also reported as a yogurt shop. No, no, no. Just did you say that he was working there? He's working there. Yeah, that's what made me laugh. It's like he just left his life and started working at a basket robin. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they they find him working there at the corner of Sunset Boulevard and the Pacific Coast Highway. And this will be close to where the car was dropped off and abandoned. Okay. The shop owner confirms that a girl would come into the shop frequently while Jimmy was working, and other witnesses say that they had seen a girl matching Jessica's description at the shop as well. And No cameras. 
no, no cameras. This is 1995. And this is kind of interesting. They never say that, like, Jessica was ID'd in California. Like, it's never said that, like, witnesses confirmed, you know, out of photo lineup, they picked Jessica out of it and be like, that's the girl I saw. Mm-hmm. But they say that somebody matching Jessica's description is seen there. And Kyle Kitcher, who is the lead detective on this case at the time, says, quote, we believe she made it to California. So at this time, they think that... With any receipts and why they believe that? No receipts on why they believe that. They think it's just because of these witnesses that say they saw a girl matching the description. They think she made it to California, though. In April of 1996, so Jessica's been missing... This poor family. This poor family. In April of 1996, so this is about four months she's been missing, Jimmy returns to Union, Missouri without Jessica. And Jimmy will begin to tell different accounts to different people of where Jessica is as soon as he gets in. So he starts telling different stories to different people immediately. Talking out of each side of his mouth? Yeah. How that saying goes? Talking out of both sides of his mouth. Yeah, Yeah. you taught me that. In June of 1996, Jimmy meets his second wife, Anna. So he has gotten divorced or is getting divorced, but he meets the person who will become his second wife during this time. In November of 1996, so she's been missing for about 11 months, almost a year at this point, police finally question Jimmy about Jessica. This is the first time they talk to him about her. I I, I feel like if I... If I was the family, like, I would have, like, flown to L.A. at that point already and been like, where the fuck is my kid? Not that I'm, I'm not saying anything, like, um, against the family. I, I have no idea what I would actually do right. in that, how I would respond. But, but, like, not even the cops? How did you not get your ass out there immediately? How did you not talk to this guy when he showed up without this minor? Yeah. I mean, regardless, you didn't do whatever. I mean, I think they should have jumped on this immediately and treated it as a kidnapping because it was. But almost a year later, and you're like, well, let's go talk to the guy who was last seen with her. So November 1996... It is reported that police finally questioned Jimmy about Jessica. Maybe they talked to him beforehand and we just don't have reports of it. Sure. But this is the this is the first time that it's reported. So Franklin County, and that's in Missouri, that's where Union is, has warrants for Jimmy for passing bad checks done in the days leading up to Jessica's abduction. So with these passing of the bad checks, it would suggest that maybe this was a plan. Like he was execu- like he was planning days leading up to this because like why do you need all this money like and then you're pawning I would say it was a shitty plan but it seemed like it was really fucking easy for him to get away with it yeah it sure does I mean this thus far I don't know what else you're about to tell me about him (laughs) yeah so in this interview in November Jimmy tells police that Jessica is living in a motel in LA with a man named Capone Jimmy gives them the address, readily gives them the address for it, says, sure, yeah, this is where she is. You can go fu- You can go knock on the door right now and talk to her. Um, so Jimmy gives them the address for this motel, but when police check it out, it is a field that has been vacant for years. Doesn't exist. Never existed. In her missing persons flyers, it will say that she possibly has a neck tattoo 
to that says Capone. So somewhere at this time, Jimmy says she is getting a neck tattoo. A 14-year-old is getting a neck tattoo with the word Capone on it. And this is in her missing person flyer as like a possible clue to look for her. But I just think it's bullshit because it's clearly made up. Jimmy clearly made it. Why are you even associating this Capone character with her? Because it's a character he's made up. So this all happens at the end of 1996. And then that's a little bit of the last we hear. But in the years following, Jimmy will tell more than one person that he killed her and dumped her body. And he tells one person it it was near a lake, which prompted a search, but it yielded nothing. And I couldn't find any details about where this lake was or when the search happened. But I, I did find a report that a lake was searched in regards to Jessica because of what Jimmy was saying. And Jimmy would even shout at Mary across the parking lot that Jessica is dead and she should just get over it. In 2001, the Union police will hand the case off to the LAPD because they believe she was murdered in L.A. And I got that information. The parents um, started a website specifically for Jessica, and so there were some updates, and that's where I got this information from. And it's unclear when the case will move back to the Union Police Department, but they are handling the case again by 2004. So there's some handoff. Is that common? Ah. If I guess if like a possible victim is or survivor is um, taken across like multiple state lines and stuff. Does well, usually the FBI gets involved <clears throat> once state lines are involved, and I don't know if the FBI was ever invited in on this case or if they were and it just wasn't publicized. There was very little reports I could find about Jessica, and honestly, I came to know this case because a former coworker of mine went to school with Jessica and knew her, and she told me about it. Oh, no way. Yeah. Wow. But yeah, so 2004, police will try to talk to Jimmy, but he'll refuse. And apparently police reportedly approach Jimmy every single year to ask about Jessica and her disappearance. But Jimmy always lawyers up and refuses to talk. And then in December of 2005, so she's been missing 10 years at this point, the union police chief will talk informally with Jimmy and he'll walk away convinced that Jimmy killed Jessica. However, police can't use what is told to them because during the interview, Jimmy was never read his Miranda rights. So nothing that he was said could ever be admissible in court and cannot be used against him. And this was the union police chief? Yep. Like the person at the top? In theory, yeah. Uh, I don't understand how you make that kind of mistake. I don't, and that's, I don't even know if it was a mistake. I wonder if they went in with the intention of like, just tell us. But like, again, I'm like, that's kind of shitty police work. Like, well, I think that's been established. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's not like they were, like, doing a great job, then all of a sudden they, like, dropped the ball at the end, you know? It's like, was this them just trying to get an answer? Hmm. I don't know. But it, um... Maybe to confirm some part of something else they had already had, but still it wouldn't matter. I don't don't know. But either way, nothing that he has said during this interview can be used. But the police chief, um, this is Mary's quote here, but quote, but he told me, Mary, I know he killed your little girl, end quote. 
so the police chief is convinced he knows it knows it and in 2001 in the you know update that the parents said they specifically used the word they believe she was murdered in LA so whatever information the police have at this point and again Jimmy's kind of telling everybody that he killed her and dumped her body somewhere yeah he's like I don't care yeah in fact the friend that or you know my former co-worker she had her own story about what Jimmy had said from like a friend of a friend who was at a party like Jimmy got drunk at a party and like started blabbing about what he did to Jessica it's like uh, Bo Dukes <laughs> that's exactly what he did with in relation to Tara Grinstead mm-hmm. that got drunk and told everybody yeah but with this information whatever the police gets from this informal interview with Jimmy in 2006 um, the family will decide to hold a memorial service for Jessica and this is the only memorial service that they have ever held I think at that point they believe that she has been murdered and is gone sure and then on April 12th, 2008, Jimmy Hopkins will murder his second wife, Anna, before killing himself in their home in Joplin, Missouri. It's reported that Anna was going to leave Jimmy, and this is possibly what prompted him to murder Anna. Police say that Jimmy handcuffed Anna's hands behind her back and shot her. So he's a coward. Like, you're a murderer. You're, you're like, scum anyway, but, like, you're not even going to, like, let this woman fight. No, that says, like, that's, like, sadistic to me. Yeah. I'm sure. I imagine if you're doing that, that person probably had those handcuffs on for a little while before they were killed. Yeah, and there there's not a lot of details around this murder-suicide, but Jimmy and Anna will leave behind two young children, And Mary is quoted as saying, I think Jimmy Hopkins is the only person who knew what happened to my daughter, and he's the only person who knew where he buried the body, end quote. So that last line about the only person who buried the body, I think that comes from that informal interview that it, to me, seems like Jimmy murdered Jessica. I I imagine it happened in that motel room Yeah, I think it happened in that hotel room. Like, maybe he, like through her with the, without the intention of killing her mm-hmm. she he did and then like he took the body drove it to LA dumped it there yeah or and dumped it, it along the way yeah I think it happened like super fast I don't think it was this long drawn out no and I don't think she made it to I don't think she was alive in California me neither but. I don't think that that's who that was I think he probably found another girl to be like oh, come visit me in my, in my basket room yeah, my ice cream shop. Yeah, but it's just like, Anna didn't have to die if police did their job. You know, like, Jimmy should have been locked up a long time ago. Oh, no, this is, I mean, it's it's on him, but the the weight of the responsibility falls to, like, the their, like, terrible decision-making and mistakes. It's really sad. Yes, it's, it's horrible. And, you know, Jimmy and Anna had children together that were left behind. Jimmy had children from his first marriage as well. I feel bad, like, even, like, saying it, but I'm like, thank God that, like, she somehow, like, Jimmy mm-hmm. and his first wife, like, he didn't kill her. Yeah, he didn't kill his first wife. <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm saying, like, 
I want to say, like, thank God, but that doesn't seem right because two other people have died. I'm just like, I don't know. The whole situation is Yeah, it seems like anybody who was in his path was really in danger. Yeah. I I think I'm having that feeling of, like, oh, my God, I was alone with that person. Like, I've been intimate with this person. Like, I have a child with this person, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. But, yeah, Jessica, um, she's still listed as missing um, in most places. You know, it's a missing person flyer for her. Mm -hmm. Anybody with any information about what happened to Jessica, please call the Union Police at 636-583-3700. And again, especially like people who grew up in Union um, and maybe went to high school with Jimmy or like partied in Union in like the 90s, early 2000s, Jimmy was getting drunk and talking at parties and was telling a lot of people what he did. So... I think that, like, Mary should, uh, you know, have her daughter's body. Like, that should be the piece that she gets in this life, you know? Mm-hmm. So anybody who knows anything, I know Jimmy, like, somewhere between everything he said, there's breadcrumbs of the truth. So it's like if all those things could be, like, teased Someone out. Someone somewhere knows something. They do. And, mm-hmm. you know, even, you know, I don't want to report on what my coworker said because I couldn't find it anywhere else and I couldn't substantiate it, but you know, the wildly different stories. Uh, sources for this week's episode come from the St. Louis Dispatch, the Missourian, the Joplin Globe, the Charlie Project, the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children, and the parents' website, My Name is Jessica. Thank you for providing those. Yeah. I'm so sad. Like, she woke up, like, the day after Christmas, like, all jazz to wear a new favorite outfit. Mm-hmm. And, like, probably had an awesome day planned. And this guy... Ugh. Like, ends the girls' day short, shows up, and, like, I, I don't know how he got Jessica in the car. That's not reported. But... Even I remember, like, my parents, like, coaching me in the 90s, being like, even if it's someone you know, like, if they don't say this password, like, don't get in the car with them. Even if they're like, your mom's in the hospital. Your mom told me to come get you. Like, don't get in the car with them. Mm -hmm. Like, I remember that, like, kind of coaching. Um, Well, you and I grew up with (laughs) murderino mothers. (laughs) Completely. (laughs) They have been instilling this true crime fear in us forever. Yes. (laughs) We were uh, rocking in the cradle to the sounds of true crime documentaries. Yeah. We love you, moms. <laughs> but yeah. Uh, if you are enjoying Cold and Missing, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for listening. It means the world to me. Yeah. A thousand downloads. Yeah. We reached a thousand downloads this week. It's so cool. Um, please share with your friends, especially if you know anybody in Missouri, just pass this case to them. That would, that would mean a lot. We also have, if you would like to tip us if you are enjoying it and maybe want to put a little coin in our coffer you can um, go to our Instagram kit page at cold and missing and in the link in the bio you can buy us a coffee it's yeah, a, we're gonna open up our open up our little change purse yeah our little tip jar baby <laughs> um, but yeah you can you can buy us a coffee it's it's a great program you don't have to sign up for monthly um, blah, blah, blah. yeah monthly <laughs> subscriptions you don't even have to like give them your email you can just Give us $5. (laughs) You don't have to do anything. You just have to give us your money. (laughs) No, but 
it, I can't even tell you how many times I've been like, oh, I really enjoy this thing. I would like to like tip the creators. Like I appreciate it. And then it's like, I got to sign up for some monthly $5. And I'm like, no, I'm not. I'm not doing this. I gotta type in my email. I'm laying in bed watching Netflix. I gotta do a whole profile. Oh, I gotta do a email verification. It's not happening. You attach a balloon to your phone and let it fly out the window. Let it fly out the window into the sea. Goodbye. (laughs) Yeah, so, uh, yeah, you can buy us a coffee. Uh, you can follow us at cold and missing. We're always posting, um, active missing persons cases that are happening in the United States and the world. Um, also just to be clear, that money will be used to continue to fine tune how you experience our podcast. We want yeah. it to be, you know, a good experience for you. So that means maybe a better equipment it means maybe not always recording in this little back room in our closet. You can't see where we are right now, but we're proud of it, but it's very makeshift. So (laughs) (laughs) a little bit goes a long way for a grassroots uh, podcast like ours. Totally. Yeah, leave us a little review. We are insanely geeked out about them. So like you will be talked about in our home with reverence. Yeah, we will tell our dogs. We will tell each other. I will probably tell my mom about it. Yeah. So, yeah, go ahead and leave us a review if you want to. Um, And most of all, have a great rest of your week. Thanks for stopping by. Have a good week, y'all.